0: into full service radio,
1: full service radio, full service,
0: full service, full service,
1: full service radio. Live from Washington, D.C. at the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, you're listening to The Tidbit brought to you by Curate. I'm your host and the CEO of Curate, Kim Bryden. Do you run a small business or have dreams to start one? Here at The Tidbit, we've got your back. Each week, we talk through tidbits of knowledge around starting or running a small business with a food and beverage lens. Past episodes have included how to pitch an investor as a purpose-driven business, how to register an LLC, or even blockchain and community banking. So if you haven't already, head over to iTunes, search the tidbit, and hit subscribe. We deliver these tidbits of knowledge to you every Tuesday for you to digest and enjoy. So I've been thinking a lot about storytelling, especially since starting the show. I have been thinking a ton about Curate's message and how we communicate the ecosystem we are building between big and small business. And when someone introduces you to a group at A networking event or a social affair what is that tidbit of information that your colleague shares about you and your business as a small business owner and especially business owners in the food industry you have to think holistically about your brand narrative because your end user is going to buy into not just your product but what you stand for And this applies across platforms. It applies to the brand narrative you're sharing on social media, to the copy and verbiage on your packaging, to even how you're communicating at demos or even public speaking engagements. Our brains process not only stories, but those human emotions behind them. And when you can align your product, your business with that compelling brand narrative, that becomes the lifestyle behind your business that people buy into. Or even larger than that, that is the idea that is worth spreading. Have you heard of TED Talks? TED is a nonprofit devoted to spreading ideas, usually in the form of short, powerful talks. Um, And TED began in 1984 as a conference where technology, entertainment, and design converged. TED. Technology, Entertainment, Design. Get it? Um, And in the book, TED Talks, The Official TED Guide to Public Speaking, one of the main pieces of advice from Chris Anderson, the head curator of TED, reads, make your idea worth sharing. By that, I mean, ask yourself the question, who does this idea benefit? And I need you to be honest with that answer. If the idea only serves you or your organization, then I'm sorry to say it's probably not worth sharing. So how can you apply that same mentality to your business? What is that idea that you have that's worth sharing? Who cares? Who cares about it and what problem are you solving? There are a lot of people out there with solutions that are looking for a problem to solve. So instead, think about it. What is that type of outcome you're looking to achieve by telling this story? Your story is your unique value. Today. We are in studio, sitting down with expert storyteller Nate Mook. Nate is a serial entrepreneur who founded uh, one of the first uh, technology review websites in the 90s, and then he pivoted his career from tech to event production for TED, and has produced over, I'd say over 30 TEDx conferences worldwide now, from TEDx Mid-Atlantic to TEDx Mogadishu in Somalia to TEDx Everest. Yes, he had a TEDx conference on the side of Mount Everest. Um, And inspired by these stories untold, Nate began a career in documentary filming, which landed him as executive producer and producer on two incredible documentaries with National Geographic and HBO. Now, Nate is the interim executive director of World Central Kitchen, where he gets to blend his passion for social impact with storytelling through the power of food. We're gonna take a quick break, and on this little interlude, you're gonna hear a clip from one of the documentaries Nate produced.
0: My name is Jose Andres. I am a chef, and I've traveled to countries all over the world in search of the best food and experiences. But nowhere has affected me as much as Haiti. And no one can show you Haiti like a chef can. We
1: are going to show the world Haiti! Are you ready? Yay! Yeah. Paradise enjoy. I just share you can my trip, Wow. And the one you are. You're listening to The Tidbit live at the Lion Hotel in Adams Morgan. You just heard a clip from Undiscovered Haiti with Jose Andres. We are sitting down with Nate Mook, the producer behind this film, and also the interim executive director at World Central Kitchen, TEDx organizer, and the person lucky enough to call me their partner. (laughs) Hey, Nate. Hello. Thanks for being here.
0: Happy to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: (laughs) Nate, one of the traits I admire about you the most is your ability to complex problem solve. And most recently, this skill set of yours was tested as one of the first individuals on the ground with Chef Jose in Puerto Rico. And listener, if you don't know this already, Chef Jose is a staple, a pioneer in the food community here in Washington, D.C. He's also been recognized as Humanitarian of the Year by James Beard Foundation, because in part of all of your work in Puerto Rico. So let's talk about this. You've now distributed over 3.6 million meals in Puerto Rico. And one of the key components, I would say, to activating this boots-on-the-ground community support was through the power of social media and storytelling. So can you tell us more about this? How were you able to ignite a community through storytelling? Or, as Jose may say, storytelling through the power of food.
0: Sure, yeah, so... Um, I've known Jose for a number of years. Um, we've worked together on a number of projects and, um, he, the night before he was leaving down to Puerto Rico, he gave me a call and said, do I want to join him? Um, you know, he knew that I had, I'd done a lot of, we'd done a lot of traveling together and he knew that I, you know, could jump into a situation unplanned, not knowing what the outcome was going to be. And so, um, A few hours later, we were on a flight, a 4 a.m. flight, down to uh, Florida and then eventually on to San Juan, Puerto Rico, on one of the first uh, commercial flights to to land after Hurricane Maria had left the island. And um, we didn't really know what to expect. We were going in thinking we'd be there for a few days, uh, support with a little food, donate some money, see how we could help out. But, of course, once we got there, we saw how much devastation there was no electricity, no access to food. There were no grocery stores. A lot of folks didn't have running water. Um, and so, you know, it, it really was, was a situation that was on the brink of a humanitarian disaster because, you know, people can last for a couple of days with what they have in their house. But um, especially when you don't have refrigeration, you don't have stockpiles of food, um, you know, that it's you're just going to starve. And so, um, you know, we recognized very quickly what the situation was going to be and, and in true Jose action, he didn't meet, he didn't plan. He just jumped into action, starting to cook. And, and we started small, uh, working with a, a local chef in Santurce and San Juan named Jose Enrique. We kind of took over his restaurant. It was, there was, you know, water, rain falling through the roof, um, that had been ripped off in the hurricane. We were running on a generator. Um, and, you know, just trying to, to get things moving and, and a thousand meals that first day turned into, you know, 150,000 meals a day. And we started in one kitchen and eventually, uh, expanded into 26 kitchens across the island, serving all 78 municipalities. And, you know, I think one of the things that, that we, that we struggled with when we hit the ground was access to information. Um, this is something that Puerto Ricans experienced trying to reach family members. Nobody knew what was happening on the island Communication was was cut off, and especially outside of the main the main cities, and so you know almost accidentally, but just part of I think the DNA who of who Jose is and who I am, we wanted to to share what was happening um, in real time. We didn't want to um, you know uh, just do some work and then write a write a report about it later. We wanted to show people what was going on and make them not only feel part of the response and see how they could potentially participate and support or if they were donating, for example, what their money was going to, but but even more so than that, I think just the importance of of really letting people into what was happening on the ground, what the situation was in different communities, what were the challenges. You know, we didn't sugarcoat anything. We shared of our, our struggles. Um, and, and you know, it was not polished, but it was real. And I think uh, what ended up happening was people really connected with that. They felt like this was one of the few uh, outlets of, of reliable information that was coming out from the island. We were sending photos and, and video as much as possible with limited connectivity. Um, and every day, you know, dispatching new reports of what was happening on the ground, and, and it ended up building a movement. Uh, we went from 20 volunteers the first day, and in total, we've had over 20,000 people volunteer with us in Puerto Rico. Wow. Um, so, you know, I think it was really critical for, for building that, that momentum because it enabled a way, storytelling provides a way for people to really connect with what's happening and and feel like they're part of it even if they can't be there physically and and I think so it was it was a real critical piece for building the support and the momentum especially for a small organization like World Central Kitchen which you know is is despite all of you know what we were able to accomplish in Puerto Rico is still is still tiny
1: yeah and I think uh, to your point a lot of brands or corporations strive for um a core value of transparency and and really what it means to be transparent and authentic in storytelling is showing up and, and showing people behind the scenes good bad ugly but really putting that on display and you and you did that beautifully
0: yeah you know I think it was a very different approach to humanitarian relief I think traditionally um, you know you donate your money say to the Red Cross the Salvation Army or, or whoever you don't really know where your money's going for going towards Um, You know, eventually you might get a report after the fact, you know, they'll probably write up some blog posts with some photos of what they've accomplished, but you don't really see what's going on. Um, And that leads to a lot of questions and a lot of criticisms and and mismanagement and and unfortunately corruption, because there is not that that real sort of real time transparency into what's going on. And I think a lot of brands and, and corporations. Um, traditionally have been very scared of this because they feel like they need to have a polished front, that everything needs to go through multi-levels of approval. And, you know, I think just the the nature of who Jose is, and even though he's got a big, you know, restaurant empire with 30-plus restaurants across the United States and in Puerto Rico and in Mexico and, and soon in the Bahamas, um you know i think he's he's always remained true and anybody who follows him on twitter sees you know the real jose it's it's unvarnished it's it's you know he's he's the real person and and i think in in turn that actually ends up benefiting his business because people really relate to him as a human being, even though of course he's not at all of his restaurants, you go to his restaurants and you identify with him and it's that natural voice that, that comes through. And so, you know, I think it's a real testament to Think Food Group, Jose's organization that they've, you know, let him... Or he's, you know, he's, you don't really let Jose do anything, but, you know, that he's been, you know, been able to keep that that independent, honest voice. And and so, you know, I think that's really come out as part of um, our efforts at World Central Kitchen as well.
1: Yeah. And, you know, for small business owners that are listening as you're building your brand, really understand that that's something that you can do to skyrocket the success of the brand narrative you're trying to build because people like to hear from you, the founder owner, how you're incorporated into those daily operations. We are sitting here with Nate Mook, the interim director of World Central, executive director of World Central Kitchen. And Nate, tomorrow, June 6th, is World Central Kitchen's biggest event of the year, Dine and Dash. You can buy a ticket at dineanddash.info. Um And you get to eat and drink at more than 35 different restaurants between the Penn Quarter and 14th Street neighborhoods. So what I'm really, really excited about this year's event, though, is that there's going to be a Puerto Rico house featuring the hashtag chefs for Puerto Rico. Just so excited. So can you tell us a bit more about the event and also a few of the stories of these chefs?
0: Absolutely. So yeah, dine and dash is uh, takes place tomorrow, Wednesday, June sixth. Um, we take over thirty five restaurants in the district. Um, we have uh, two big neighborhoods, Penn Quarter and Fourteenth Street. One ticket enables you to go to all the restaurants. You get to go, pop in, try some of the food, have some drinks, and then dash to the next restaurant and just dine keep bouncing and dash. around. Um, but one big difference this year is we're, we're sort of launching a, a pop-up restaurant of sorts, um, which we're calling Puerto Rico House. It's four stories, um, and it's, it's uh, going to feature the food, the culture, the music of Puerto Rico, including... Many of our chefs that worked with us um, last fall and continue to work with us, we still have three kitchens operating in Puerto Rico right now, and uh, these chefs are coming in to uh, to DC. Um, many of them are arriving today. Some of them are already here. We've got some, also some of the best chefs in Puerto Rico, including Willow Bennett, Mario Pagan, and Jose Enrique himself. Um, they're all preparing dishes. Um, many of our food truck partners, our food trucks were kind of our, our delivery angels that were going out across the island as we were feeding, feeding communities that were otherwise cut off and didn't have access to electricity or water. So our food trucks will be here as well, uh, featuring some of their food. Um, we're going to also you know, have an opportunity to tell the story of uh, our work down there and share the stories of some of the individuals uh, who, who really played a central role in, um, in the Chefs for Puerto Rico response. And so, um, you know, we're going to highlight some with, with photos and, and stories from them. And, and I'm really excited. It's going to be it's going to be great. And, um, you know, many of these chefs are still part of our operation. And, um, you know, so it's going to be a great opportunity for folks to, to meet with them, to talk to them, to learn about not only Puerto Rico, but also who they are and and what they do.
1: Yeah, I'm telling you, a ticket alone is worth meeting these chefs. They are just incredible absolutely incredible and their food whoo jose enrique you gotta
0: yeah and also take it ho-
1: alone is worth it for jose enrique's food
0: <laughs> jose andres obviously will be there um also a special guest andrew zimmern uh from travel channel he, you might have Ooh. known him from bizarre foods and and zimmern list and he's andrew is wonderful and also dana cowan who um was the uh executive editor of food and wine for for many many years um she's she's fantastic and so um they're going to be hanging out along with a number of other special guests and um throughout the night and everybody will be bouncing around so it'll be a lot of fun
1: amazing storytelling through the power of food we are going to take a quick break and then be back with nate to learn his how-to tips and best practices for crafting your brand narrative we'll be right back (music) Sitting down with Nate Mook, interim executive director of World Central Kitchen, HBO documentary producer, TEDx organizer, and dad to our cat, Jinx Ferdinand. <laughs> you just listened to a track by an amazing band called City of the Sun in a short film titled Mini Bar by Jose Andres, A Day in the Life. And yes, that was my voice in the end, my food film debut, and also the moment I met Nate. Nate, hey. Hello, welcome to the tidbit happy to be here. So you've clearly had a storied career so far, building up expertise in a multitude of areas. Ultimately, though, one of the threads between all of your work has been storytelling. So whether it was starting one of the first online tech journalism websites to producing TED conferences to documentary storytelling, you clearly have a knack for finding and shedding light on those stories untold. So when you are filming a documentary or coaching someone to give a TED talk, how do you structure a narrative that will be compelling to the audience?
0: Sure. So I think, you know, there's a lot of ways to approach it. And obviously there's no single answer or single solution. But I do think that one of the key things, one of the things that I often tell people is um, to kind of flip. Yourself and put yourself in the audience's shoes and really try to think about it from their perspective. So often when we're trying to tell a story or share about our business or, um, you know, get a piece of information out there, we're often thinking about it as, okay, how do I get what I have into some somebody else's brain? How do I, you know, it's, it's really sort of it tends to be focused on yourself as the person telling the story, um, that you are the one with this important piece of information or, you know, you're pitching your business and it's about how do I get it out there and how do I what how do I phrase things? How do I do it? It's very centralized. And, um, and this is normal. Uh, there's a, a great. Uh, uh, commencement speech by uh, an author named David Foster Wallace, and he, it's called This is Water. And, and he talks about how, you know, human nature is, is self-centered. And it's because we see the world only through our own eyes. We can't experience the world through somebody else's eyes. And so it's very natural for us to go through the world every single day as being the most important element and the center of the universe, because for us, we are the center of the universe. Everything is happening around us. And so it takes a real concerted effort to sort of put that off to the side and put yourself in in somebody else's shoes. And I think this is the most important piece when it comes to storytelling, because you really have to think about who your audience is. And what's best for them? Not necessarily what's best for you and what you want to tell them or what you want to share, but rather what's, what are the things that, that they want to know about? What's the way that they want to, to learn? What's going to keep their attention? What's going to connect with them emotionally? And if you start there, I think it becomes a lot easier to really build the narrative and the story that you want to tell. Um, and so that's sort of an overarching sort of approach that, that, um, I like to take when thinking about this.
1: Yeah. And and you've worked with senators, CEOs, entrepreneurs, and, and many, many more, um, on these how to's of crafting a story specifically around Ted talks and our listeners who are creating and building businesses and want their communities bought into their vision and mission, um, one of the most compelling ways to do so is through public speaking. And so do you have three best practices for our listeners? What are some tips to remember when you are giving a talk or a speech that you engage and don't lose your audience?
0: Sure. So, you know, I think um, one of the key things is really having a narrow focus about what, what you want to what's the message you want to deliver. Um, you know, this is what has made TED so successful, uh TED Talks because you know, they really hone in on what is the new idea that the person is sharing. Um what is the uh you know, the, the one tidbit of information. Wow, nice that, job there. <laughs> that you want to get across and um and and really focus in on that. Don't, you know, don't tell sort of a an a long winded story about with, with a bunch of background and tangential things and different facts that might be interesting to you. And they might be interesting on their own, but in sort of trying to, to create a cohesive story arc Um, It distracts people. It takes people off of of the real, you know, the real point you're trying to make and the idea that you're trying to leave and insert into somebody's head. And so, you know, I think that that's that's really uh, an important piece of it. So one of the things that we recommend to folks when we're we're working on our our TEDx events is um, think about what the headline would be. You know, if you were if this was a story that was going to be, say, in The New York Times and you were trying to pitch this to, to somebody and you wanted, you know, you wanted it to be be out there. Um, you know, what? what is that headline that's going to capture people's attention, but that's going to be clear and concise. And that's a really great starting point to to work from, because once you have that, that can help guide you as you create the rest of the narrative. And as you add things in, it's like, is this really supporting my, my main point and the thing I want to get across, is, or is this kind of a, a tangential thing that's not really critical? Um, you know, attention spans, as everybody knows, are getting shorter and shorter. Um, you know, Twitter might be 288 characters now, but but you know, in all, you know, we're we're spending less time reading long form stories. We're we have less patience to watch things that are that are very long. And so, you know, you want to, You want to remain concise. And so, I think that's one one key piece of that. And, and focusing on a headline can be a good starting point for that. The other thing I'd say is, um, you know, you really cannot replace preparation. Uh, you know, I think everybody works in different ways, but there's, there's nothing that is going to replace rehearsing and practicing and refining. Um, it doesn't matter how experienced of a public speaker you are ultimately. Um, or if you're, if you're brand new, uh, you really have to put in the time and the effort and the energy. And it can be awkward. I mean, especially in the early days of trying to figure out what it is and getting feedback and, you know, even standing in front of a mirror and reciting something, it can be really strange to to do that. But the more you practice and the more you can refine, the more comfortable you get with it, the more natural it's going to sound, the better it's going to be. And there's no single approach to this. I mean, I think some people, like when they're crafting a story, they might end up writing out an entire speech or an entire talk word for word. Um, other people may just make some bullet points of some things they want to say. Um, you know, but ultimately I think at the end of the day, it has to be, you know, what you want to try to convey is, um, you know, you want to, you want to create, convey your idea in a way that is really naturally going to connect with people. And one of the best ways to to think about this is, is, you know, sitting around a dinner table. Ted actually was started by a man named Richard Saul Werman, um, as sort of his idea of a dinner party with some of the smartest people he knew and so you know he wanted to get some of these smartest people around a table and just have them tell stories and share these great ideas and that's a very natural way it's like sitting around a campfire going back you know thousands of years of this is how we shared information and um it's still to this day, I think the most effective way in a very natural way to sort of imagine that you're, you're just sitting down with somebody very casually telling them something. And even if you're up on a, on a fancy stage with, with a bunch of cameras and a thousand people in the audience, or, you know, pitching in front of a team of investors, you know, you want to still come across as natural and confident. Like you're just telling them a story and you really believe and you're passionate in this idea. And, and you think this is important and here's why, and you're going to break this down to them. And, And I think Nothing replaces rehearsing. I mean, I think practice is, is so critical.
1: And also being true to yourself.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Definitely.
1: Nate, thank you so much for being here today. Uh, you have to get going because you're dining, and dashing out of here. Dining, and dashes tomorrow. So how can people find out more about World Central Kitchen, uh, social media, about the event tomorrow? Give us the links.
0: Sure. So, um, you know, World Central Kitchen is, of course, on all of the platforms uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Just do a search for World Central Kitchen. We're WC Kitchen on uh, on Twitter. Um, you know, worldcentralkitchen.org is the website. Um, you can go on there and find out about all of our programs. Um, you know of course world central kitchen shot into the spotlight this year with Puerto Rico and our relief work and we were also out in California we are now activated in Hawaii and and soon in in Guatemala um, but you know world central kitchen has been around since 2010 founded by Jose Andres after the the earthquake in Haiti uh, we have a number of long-term ongoing projects that uh, including a culinary school in Port-au-Prince um, which is really fantastic we've got social enterprises like a bakery and a fish restaurant and um, and we we focus also a lot on clean cookstoves. So we've converted uh, over 150 schools from charcoal to LPG gas, um, which is much cleaner and, and also just has tremendous impact on, on families and and folks who were previously using dirty fuels like charcoal. So, you know, go on the website, find out about all the work that we're doing, um, you know, get involved in in some of our uh, volunteer efforts we also have a chef network where people can sign up um, and we're always looking for folks to to participate um, especially as we expand our our relief work Um, you know i think this is this is really a new direction since puerto rico and one where we're going to be really focused on in the future
1: full circle here if you want to learn more about all of that ongoing social impact work definitely check out undiscovered haiti with jose andres to see more about the beauty of the country and also to learn a little bit more about those those amazing programs that nate was referencing so everyone just so you know this show is based on a bi-weekly newsletter that we sent out at curate called the tidbit and in it we discuss what we're reading eating drinking listening to and learning five quick morsels of information to get you in the know and on top of your game So if you're eager to learn more tidbits of knowledge about the food and beverage industry, starting or growing a business, or even entrepreneurship lessons learned, sign up today. Head over to curateconnect.com and sign up in the footer. C-U-R-E-A-T-E connect.com. Until next time, everyone, remember to scale thoughtfully and source locally.